And here we go. Okay, guys, happy to have you. Hey, uh, you are again in the loop. And we are here today with Nathan Warden, who was so kind to, to visit us and talk a little bit about investing for everyone, right? For investing for people that are, you know, just starting and kind of at the beginning of their journey. What are the advantages of, you know, talking with other people about your, your portfolio, about your finances? and you know basically make your first couple of years investing as good as possible so you set yourself up for a great future so nathan thank you once again and could you a little bit introduce yourself for our audience sure thing thanks for having me so yeah my name is nathan warden uh i am a community manager at common stock common stock is a social investing app where people link their brokerages and show their real time and real uh transparently held holdings um, the kind of whole idea is to try and cut down on uh, people saying that they have certain uh, stocks, but then don't actually. So adding that transparency and high signal to investing. Um, and so I'm very interested in the investing world. I'm interested in helping uh, both new people and much more advanced investors get the most out of investing community and that their time spent researching. So really happy to be here today. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And obviously, Sam here is a user of the common stock who is sharing his portfolio there, right? So uh, maybe we can also get his perspective. Uh, what was the reason why you started using common stock? Well, yeah. oh, I, I want to hear Yeah, it's for Samuel. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I was approached. <laughs> yeah, I, I was approached by Connor Mack. From, from Twitter, he DM'd me and he was like, uh, would you like to like work with us on this idea uh, and become a creator on Common Stock? And I, I checked it out. I mean, I knew about the, the social media before, but uh, the problem was that I, I couldn't really maximize my utility from the social media because my brokerage back then didn't support the, the ones that were offered. Uh, which is not really a problem of the common stock. It's, it's, it's because of the brokerage and they, they just don't support those, you know, methods to do so. And, you know, APIs and all that stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, but but I, I, I was very much keen to join because I can easily connect with the idea of being transparent. I, I preach that continuously across my journey. I am very big fan of Full stop transparency. Even if you do mistakes, you should probably tell people that that follow you, you. They shouldn't have the impression that you are just the perfect guy, and they should listen to you whenever you say anything. You can, you you can, and you will obviously make mistakes. So that's absolutely certain. But uh, yeah, I can connect with the idea of transparency, and this was sort of a guide to uh, to enable me to share my portfolio publicly with my community community while still maintaining a certain degree of privacy, yeah. which is awesome. And on top of that, there's great creators, great ideas on the on the common stack uh, where you can find a lot of interesting perspectives on all sorts of ideas. So go check them out for sure. Yeah. And, and I know your, your audience is very into innovation and uh, looking at innovative stocks and things like that. One thing that I get really excited about is also just like the the innovation in uh, human behavior and how culture develops is, a, is a, a certain type of innovation, right? Like a lot of times when people think of innovation, they think of like what technology is is being built on. But there's also this like 
progression of human um, culture and human psychology that really should be considered innovation too. Like the way that people think about uh, questions like, you know, how do I live a good life? There's like basic philosophy and there's tenets that have evolved and changed and grown over time from, you know, hundreds of years ago to today. There's certain baseline things that are true. And then there's certain things about how, you know, physical technology has changed the world that also makes our, you know, human brains think about the world differently. Um, and I think one of those shifts maybe that's that's more of just like a cultural mindset at large, that's kind of like a, a cultural innovation is that transparent um, piece. And, th and the reason why it's so important now, you know, if you ask, you know, even your parents' generation, the generation behind that, if you ask them like, hey, would you ever share what you're investing in with the world? Like what's in your brokerage account? They'd be like, no, I would, why? Why would, I'm not, I'm a private person. Why would I, you know, do that? And then you talk to millennials or Gen Z and many of them are so like, why would I do that? But more, more people are thinking like that might be a good thing. And the reason is because like the internet and social media was not a thing, you know, 40 years ago. And now it's so much more apparent that there's, it's so easy to lie. It's so easy to manipulate online. And one of the things that's missing in our current media landscape is legitimacy, is transparency, is verified validity. And you can't, there's, it's hard to do, it's hard to fact check. And so it doesn't get done a lot, but platforms that are starting to allow that verification um, basically are creating higher quality information sharing, which leads to higher quality relationships between people, higher trust, which ultimately allows us to collaborate better as a society and between people. And I think that's pretty innovative. Like if you, a technology, um, you know, that allows you to spit out more cars per, you know, unit of time that can be seen as an innovation. Like this process is just a better way of doing things. Well, the better, if we can collaborate better as people, um, that's an improvement and that's an innovation. And I, I think that transparency allows us to uh, more quickly trust one another and collaborate with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. And uh, kind of the idea that came to my mind when you mentioned this was also uh, that skin in the game principle, right? Because always, you know, if you are having some analyst who is basically just paid to, to write about different stocks, uh, you know, he has no interest in or no no incentive to basically, you know, be thorough and in a sense truthful, right? But when people are actually, you know, talking about stocks that they have in their portfolio, especially if it's, let's say, their biggest position, it also should usually mean that they did their research in an ideal case scenario, right? So would, would you say that this plays aspect as well? Totally. I think that's why they tell analysts um, who are paid in that way, they say, don't tell me what you think, tell me what's in your portfolio. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't really trust what you're saying. You're saying something because your incentives are to put out a number for X, Y, and Z reason. But if you're actually thinking about the risk that you are taking yourself, you're going to make a different decision. So show me what's in your portfolio and then maybe give me your explanation of why. Yeah, definitely. And then maybe, maybe the opposite side of it, right? Because obviously people are always super excited about, let's say, what Warren Buffett is buying or, or Michael Barry or things like that. But we also need to understand that these guys are playing, you know, completely different game, right? And they are having, uh, you know, 
cater access to some uh, very specific types of deals. It, it, that would be the case of the Warren Buffett or with Michael Burry. It's uh, lots of the time kind of more complicated and short-term stuff. So what I also find uh, very useful is to always learn from someone who's just a couple steps ahead, right? You know, maybe if you have, let's say, 30K in your portfolio, learn from someone who's in the six figures. If you have six figures, learn from someone who has seven figures. Because that's basically showing you, you know, just those uh, two years that you maybe have ahead of you. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that there's a lot of mistakes that are made because there isn't enough context about the person sharing the information and misunderstanding that they're like five, six, seven levels ahead of you. It's not going to serve you well to try and skip levels. It's like a third grader like walking into a college, you know, seminar and, and being like, "Here I am." And it's like, oh, you've got a lot of years of, of groundwork to do before this is going to make any sense to you. So someone saying, you know, buy this stock, if they are not in, in a similar situation from you, whether it's, you know, ability to save emergency fund, uh, portfolio allocation, understanding of the business, like all these things, then that that advice or that, you know, that tweet, that that information isn't really relevant to you. Hmm. So. I think as time goes on, uh, and we're seeing this with things like TikTok and just all social media, the hyper personalization, like understanding where you are at, the information that is most effective for you to get is, like you said, like one level above. Uh, and I think that the, the algorithms and the AI and the way that we're able to serve that information is only as good as the ability for us to know transparently and really what is those attribute attributes that matter about you so I, I do think that like when you choose to share what's in your portfolio you're also giving others whether it's people or algorithms the ability to give you better more contextualized information which will in turn help you out and it becomes like this virtuous cycle yeah definitely so it's always nice to get also maybe a little bit of encouragement right because sometimes people need to be maybe little bit friendly pushed into investing right because uh, of course we usually have our work and families you know occupied with lots of different stuff but of course you know in order to have better future it's it's nice to get that little push but maybe it can turn a little bit competitive uh, sometimes so do, do you have maybe some some negative side let's say or talk a little bit about that topic oh totally yeah there's definitely double-edged swords so i always like when when talking about sharing portfolios publicly and thinking about do i want to do this i always like to start with the negatives first because like you you just it's a it's better to understand like why you wouldn't want to do this before jumping into the rah rah let's do this kind of thing so the negatives um one of the the negatives i would say is anchoring bias right you know there's already this well-known phenomenon in investing especially with like the price point that you buy a stock at and saying like well i bought it at this so i don't want to sell it until it's more um and in, in reality like the price at which you bought has no bearing or effect on where the stock goes it doesn't care where you bought it at and so similarly like if you buy a stock and you have it in your portfolio and you're sharing it publicly just because you're holding it now does not mean you should continue to hold it or not like it doesn't doesn't matter and yet with that psychological effect of like other people know that i hold this and therefore if i sell it or change it i need to explain to them uh why i'm doing that now and you might not end up taking any action um even when you should because you've got this anchoring bias of this is what i i'm 
I'm people perceive me as someone who holds Tesla, right? So if I change that, oh, I'm, you know, what's different about me or what changed? Now, there's also a good side of that, which is like that's making you be more thoughtful about your investing decisions because you know you need to not just like trick yourself or explain it to yourself, but you need to explain it to others in a way that makes sense. So that's good and bad, but it's something to be aware of is that you might you might have anchoring bias when you put your portfolio out there publicly and then kind of fall in love with it more. So it's uh, it's something to be aware of. Another negative is um, comparing performance to others can make you feel self-conscious. Uh, there's always going to be someone who has per better performance than you. And portfolio performance, um, it, there is a lot of luck that's involved, right? Sometimes people who take the biggest risks have the biggest returns. But for every one person who hit Bed Bath & Beyond at the right exact time as it shot up, there was a hundred other people who took a huge risk, bought an option, and it just you know went to zero or they lost a bunch of money. And you only kind of hear about the people who have the really great performance. So when you're sharing your performance publicly, it's really easy to be like clicking around and looking at like, ooh, does that person have better performance than me? And you know, comparison is the thief of joy. Um, so you, you have to be thinking about your performance as how can I get better and saying like, I, here's where I am. I just want to improve my own performance and other people's performance is just a nice little data point to maybe understand if, you know, what they're doing is working, but if their returns are super huge, it also might be because they're taking super big risks. So another kind of negative. And then the last kind of negative is like, there's no hiding and it can be uncomfortable when you're like, so in the last year. A lot of portfolios are down a lot. Like on common stock, as I click around, there's plenty of high growth investors who are down 60%, right? And so the no hiding aspect is like, it's very painful to be out in the open when your portfolio is dropping. But to switch to the positive sides, um, no hiding can also force you to make uncomfortable but healthy decisions. So uh, like if you're working out or wanting to eat better, you know, doing those activities can be hard, but they're healthy. So anything that pushes you to get into the gym and to be consistent with your workouts or eating well is ultimately good, even if it's uncomfortable. And I would, I would, I would propose that sharing your portfolio is also one of those things where it forces you to have like healthy uh, investing habits. Cause it's, it's a, it's kind of a habit. It's a daily sort of thing. Um, also positives for like sharing your portfolio is it causes you to be more thoughtful. I kind of already uh, touched on that forces you to be honest with yourself about your motivation for getting into a position. Um, but it also, it gives you validation, like proof that your strategy works, whatever that means for you, as far as what your goals are with investing. But there's a lot of people who they didn't go to like a top notch school or they didn't go to a school at all, but they've done a lot of working on themselves and they've done a lot of reading and they've formed an investment strategy. And at the end of the day, it, does, it shouldn't matter, you know, where you went to school as long as you are getting the results that you want. And so sharing your portfolio publicly gives you that like that validation of, you know, I'm, I'm no matter who I am, I can I can still do well. Um, and then the last little thing that I, I love to kind of think about is the optionality for the future of sharing your portfolio. So over time, there's definitely going to be the opportunity for some people to manage funds or, you know, uh, yeah, start a fund or manage money, maybe get a job because of their verified performance over time and building up that reputation and the verification that you have a, a strategy that's, that's working. Um, 
Uh, and I just, I think that that's a pretty cool, you know, the world hasn't really got around to thinking about the implications of like, if someone can just verifiably show that they're good at managing money, that person probably should be allocated resources. Um, so you could kind of pop up anywhere and become a money manager just simply because you put yourself out there. Um, and things like follower assets showing how many assets are following you help lend that um, that reputation and that legitimacy. So anyway, sorry for rambling, but that was uh, kind of the positives and negatives of sharing your portfolio. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Helpful to kind of uh, see both of the sides, right? Because the same as with investing itself, there is not like one clear uh, path that's like the, the correct. There is only like, you know, the correct and the more and more correct way, because uh, that's also a little bit uh, ties down to, you know, sometimes the, the strategies, right? That, you know, different uh, players in the market are playing different games in a different time frames, right? So, you know, some someone might win in the short term, but, you know, then make a, a significant mistake a little bit just later down the road. So it's also important to, as you've mentioned during the last point, right? To kind of build that track record and also prove that, you know, you can consistently do, do well, which uh, also reminded me if I can share the, the graph a little bit here, because uh, this is basically the holding period of stock in years, right? Where we can see that, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, people, you know, kind of bought the stock and just held it for, for years and years, you know, in, in a family which we were actually discussing that in, in Jeremy's private group and probably it was mainly tied to, you know, obviously in the old days you had to go to an office or call your broker to even do any kind of transaction. So it wasn't as easy as, as these days, right? Where, you know, obviously now, especially during all the craziness of the past, you know, two years in the market, there has been a, a lot of rotation in the stocks, a lot of speculation. Also, as you mentioned, that lots of people are basically you know down 50 60 percent these days because lots of the stocks uh, that uh, that were talked about in the, the last uh, two years were usually some high growth tech stock which you know might very well see some uh, very sunny days soon but of course they, they come with the risk right so uh, what's what's your take on basically obviously sharing all of this information not just on common stock but also social media kind of um amplifying overall market sentiment, both on the upside and the downside. Yeah, I think that, you know, the amplification is is something that's just, it's it's the way that our world is moving. And so whether it's good or bad, it's how are we gonna, as individual investors, how are we gonna deal with that? And that's just, that's an amazing graph that you showed of the, the years of holding just dropping as, as time goes on. And, you know, some people would say, you know, judgmentally, ooh, it's bad that we're we're trading so much, right? We should be holding longer. But you know, part of the calculus that you have to be thinking about is, you know, having trades that are zero dollars and being able to trade from an app rather than going into a office, that speeds up the amount of transactions that you're going to make. But it also brings in like more people into investing that wouldn't have had uh, wouldn't have otherwise. And the world is changing quicker too. And so there might be a reason for you to sell sooner. Um, so so, there, so there's that as, as a point of like, maybe this isn't so bad. But to the other side, there I, I also see opportunity in that graph in that, okay, so if this is the way the herd is going, if more and more people are not holding as long, 
that should mean that for the really big opportunities, the companies that are compounders, there's less people than ever that can hold on to that over time, which, which means like you, if you can, if you can, which is big if, and we probably will talk about this is like go, holding through the you know down 70%. But if you can do the hard thing and hold on to the right company for the long period of time, you're going to be in a very select group. You're going to be one of the few that can hold on for that long. That graph is proof. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask you, you, you said that you work with people getting into investing. Sometimes they start off in a certain way, a certain way being like index and then move to single stocks or they pick the single stock. And for them, the, the method of, of success is if that stock did well, then they're jazzed about it and they stay around. But if they do really poorly, they tend to churn out. So my question for you is, is what do you, when you see someone who ended up picking a stock instead of doing a diversified investing as their beginning introduction to investing, when the stock does poorly, why do certain people still hold through? Like what about them helps them do that because that's super rare right mm, yeah because that's obviously the the trickiest scenario right because you know for example lots of retail investors uh, picked tesla obviously in like uh, 2018 19 and those people are super excited about the market right and thanks to this initial success they basically become more and more enthusiastic which leads them to further success right because uh, suddenly they uh, they take the time, do the research, maybe about some other companies as well, right? And it kind of compounds. And obviously, if if people make mistakes during their first year or two of investing, it can very much discourage them from from you know further investing, which is of course uh, uh, quite sad. And the, the only way, basically, uh, you know, kind of through this negative period, is to really just get the the right information, right, to to understand uh, some of the the basics about stock investing and picking individual stocks, right? Because okay, here we are talking about an activity uh, that needs that little bit extra level of you know spending, you know, at least a few few hours per per week, keeping in touch with the market, uh, developing some kind of a strategy, you know, have it have it little bit planned out, and obviously, you know, the, the more time you spend, the, the better usually the, the results. And that's also why, you know, having these kind of communities, talking with other people on social media, in some private groups, on common stock, it can help, right? Because you get that uh, you get that kind of information from people, as we talked uh, before, right? Who are a couple of steps ahead and who can guide you during your uh, during this cr cr again critical period, right? Because you know, if someone's investing for five, seven years, at, at that point they usually uh, first and foremost, already experienced that, you know, compounding effect, right? So there's definitely positivity. Plus, they've been through, you know, different periods. So the first two years, that's that's critical, I would say. Uh, what do you see as maybe some of the biggest challenges of like the investors in their first two years? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest challenges is when the when the timing is bad and the market drops or the individual stock that they pick is is down huge. And they're in that situation where, you know, they don't have the chance to get really excited about seeing positive results. And that is, I think that's just a huge challenge. That's um, something that I kind of think about a lot as far as, you know, how do you mentor someone or help them through that time period? Because the worst case scenario is that they leave the market altogether and say, this is too risky. I'm never investing. I'm just going to hold my 
you know, savings in, in a bank account. And at least then I'm not losing money. And well, okay, well, there's also inflation that you're losing money too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so that's, that's one of the huge challenges. And I think I have an idea how, yeah, go for it. You should probably mentor them the way that they should really think of, uh, the companies they have in portfolio as them owning them as a whole, mm. just make them, you know, make, you know, make them think about it like they own the whole company, right? So they should probably get excited when the company is fundamentally doing really well and exceptionally sure. well. Yeah. You probably shouldn't get ex too excited about the stock prices surging or going down too much because that's the, I think the wrong way of thinking, especially if you are a fundamental investor, right? Mm. Not a trader. So there's occasions where the stock price is plunging, but the business is doing exceptionally well. And but there's also examples of companies going down substantially in stock price, but the business business is also experiencing issues. And that's where probably you should think of selling because exactly. the pieces may be broken. So yeah. and that's where that's where you can see who actually understands the company and the underlying business when you are in downturn mm -hmm. and who doesn't. That's where the you know the strong argument investors stay and the others get up, get down you know out of the position. Yeah, I love that. That's I wouldn't add anything. That's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And maybe one more point that uh, or or a question for for both of you guys. What I was recently thinking about is also the the influence of temperament of of investing, right? Because you know. Uh, obviously, we are all all different in the ways how how we react to things. You know, introversion, extraversion, and all the different uh, conscientiousness, openness, this kind of stuff. Because that definitely influences our overall investing style. Uh, and I was uh, actually recently talking about about a guy who was investing, uh, I think, about seven or eight years, and he has relatively decent results. Uh, even though he wasn't really putting in that much work, but the main reason was that he was very much non-reactive you know just kind of you know picking some decent companies he heard about kind of from, from the qualitative standpoint and not really selling them right you know kind of let it compound so uh, what would be your take on on this uh, little bit dilemma what's like the ideal temperament in a sense for investing yeah it's funny because there's so there's two temperaments that i see as being successful and they're actually kind of opposites one is like the person who uh is is sort of removed and their the, their behavioral advantage is that they are buying consistently and holding whether things go up or go down and that type of person um they're they're uh, the, the good thing about what they're doing is is actually kind of that they're not really paying a lot of attention like they're the type of person in the type of person i'm thinking about is they're aware of what's going on in the market somewhat, but they're not doing deep research on the company and they might not be up to the date on the business prospects. Um, but just they're, you know, busy with their day job and they check in every once in a while, but they're just like, I'm putting this money in and I'm just consistently going. And just by luck of the draw, they hit a couple that are huge and their whole portfolio compounds over time and they're great. On the other side, it's the person who's paying attention literally every single day is reading earnings reports is like really knows what's up and like i have a lot of respect for that type of person because they're doing the legwork they are understanding deeply you know does this change the business and so they can actually take advantage of the turns they can take advantage of when things are down much better than the other person 
but the thing is, is that they have to also have that behavior of investing consistently over time too, and not getting scared by, um, you know, scared out of the market, scared by, by downturns. There's plenty of reasons if you look for them to exit a position. So the, the golden situation is where you are paying attention, you're doing the research, and you also happen to have the trait of just being very consistently adding. And if you can combine those two, that's like the best of both worlds. But there's that middle ground in between that. I mean, I, and I'm describing this because I myself, I've noticed I do sometimes where March 2020 or uh, June of this year after, after, you know, these bigger downturns, mm -hmm. there's this something psychological about myself where I go, I need to sell some just for safety, right? And it's like, this is the, yeah. this is the worst time. This is the time to not sell. And yet, and I, and I've, you know, I've thought that I've gotten to the place where I am able to be like, no, I, I wouldn't sell. This is the worst time to sell. And yet something about human psychology. And then it hits. And then it hits. Yeah. Then yeah. The theory hit. is very disconnected from the reality because then the emotions are so wild. You're like, dude, I just lost 20K that I worked hard for and it's just now gone, but it's not gone in reality, especially if you all quality companies. It's just the, the temporary change in price that the market is actually now willing to pay for for, for that uh, shares if you were to sell them, but it's not actually realized loss, you know? So, so that's where your mindset has to be super so strong and solid. Yeah, and so that that's what I'd say is like, your ability to get punched in the face and not do something dumb is what will define you more than anything else. And you can't really know how you'll react until the thing happens. And so it's good to get skin in the game and start getting those gut punches and start mm -hmm. learning about how you personally react when, when the market drops, you know, do you go back to fundamentals? Do you sell? Um, I would, mm -hmm. I would, tell people like you don't really know that about yourself until you've gone through one of those experiences or you can consolidate that's or what you... i love. <laughs> exactly yeah your... just full conviction nothing else yeah <laughs> it's awesome yeah the, 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 that's a great idea right because also uh, one piece of advice i would have for, for people that are starting investing is to start as early as possible and basically with anything you have right because uh, at the beginning especially in the beginning you will have a lot of mistakes obviously you will do some mistakes uh, la later as well but it's better to get all those experiences in soon because then what we don't want to happen is where you know people suddenly come to a larger portion of money and they don't understand the market but they just put the money there and then you know let's let's say it's just before the, the february march 2020 right suddenly it drops and you know you're suddenly seeing those losses that that's definitely amplified because you know just like i personally started investing in like 2017 where you know there was relatively a peaceful time in the market right which allowed me to you know, get some of those habits in, in like almost a protected environment compared to people that started, you know, in 2020, 2021. I did November, 2020, bro. So you can imagine what I went through yeah. at this point. It's just a disaster. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm even more excited than I was before because I see the progress I made on my mindset and the, the things that I learned along the way. So I'm actually very excited for the rest of the decade because I think the, <laughs> The positions I'm building today are going to be like extremely great moving forward. I so love that. That's what I'm excited about. 
that gets me really excited because I just I wish there were more people like you. Like I want to clone you or take that mindset. And like, throw, like I meet a lot of people who are, uh, yeah, not they don't have that mindset, and I think that's going to be really valuable over the next decade. I think that's where where the sites like Twitter or Common Stock are very important because in a sense they are like your blogs. Yeah. So you can go back to your thought process before and you can understand where you were before and if you made the progress and what you learned since then. And I think that's what kind of keeps me moving, even though I was sometimes very discouraged uh, by, you know, outside reactions from people and uh, the market going against you. It's sometimes you are just down like that because of emotions and all that stuff. That's that's absolutely normal. But uh, then you see the progress that you make and you're like, I want to keep on moving because this is this is interesting. This is like I, I like to live uh, through this, you know, exciting. And I think when you really think about it, it doesn't really matter what money you put in at the start, because I think the calculation is something like throughout your life, if you invest in 18, at 18, for example, your dollar invested is going to like 50 to 100x. At the end of your life so it doesn't really matter what you start with it's very important to keep on investing throughout your life yeah it's important to start it doesn't matter you know a lot of people say that where they go oh i need more money to invest and like you just said it doesn't matter how much you have it matters that you start yeah yep you agree with that yeah definitely so because that's also ties a little bit to to topic we were talking about just before we went online and that's uh uh, you know, how many people are investing and the differences between the US and the Europe, right? Because, uh, you know, obviously in the US, the, the culture of investing and, and also talking about money is, uh, has much more development. Uh, I actually pulled out some of the statistics. It's about 58% uh, of people in the US own stocks, which, you know, maybe from our point of view where we are to some extent experienced investor, it doesn't sound like much, it's little over half. But then if we would, for example, look uh, at the Europe, it's kind of roughly, you know, most developed countries are around 35%. It would be Sweden, Finland, Latvia, then 30% Czech Republic, Denmark. But then we are going much more down, Spain 20%, France 20%, right? I so think my country is around like 18% or so last time I checked. Wow. So that's pretty low. People are so scared. They are like so misinformed from the media. And I think just putting yourself into the game and uh, you have you having skin in the game, whether it's like uh, a few hundred bucks invested is way more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. That's where your baseline starts. That's where you have to be interested in investing because you actually have money in the market now. So you have to sort of explore what's ahead and uh, what this whole game is about and what's the rules of the game and all that stuff you know you, yeah. you can treat it as a game and then it gets interesting i think because you sort of progress through the levels you know you enter the new stage and all that stuff i think that's interesting yeah the, yeah that question though of like i always wonder why is the us so like that's literally double 60 percent versus about 30 uh, in Europe, you know, why is it that, you know, U.S. people in the U.S. just have more exposure to stocks? Um, I've got a couple theories, like, but I don't, I don't know the answer. One might be that, you know, the business environment that the U.S. has had and just the geopolitical space in the world that the U.S. has had for, 
you know, ever since the end of World War II has been pretty ideal. And so just businesses in general have had more opportunity to thrive. And then as the economy grows, as people are working at those companies, you know, the idea of owning a piece of one of these companies makes a lot of sense to people. And so if, if businesses by and large are performing better in the United States, then it makes sense that there would be more ownership of those businesses and it would be culturally something that people do. In, in other countries, if there's only a few um, really well-known examples of, of globally successful companies that people would go, oh, I want to own a stake in that, there's less of like a, a reason to go out and be an owner of the, the local companies if the returns are, are lower. But I'm also speaking from kind of a... Uh, not not knowledgeable position so I, I would ask you all in in your countries like what is the general culture or vibe towards investing and, and wanting to be owners of companies that are not in the us but like in your home country like is it cool is it valuable is it do i do people have a lot of pride in owning um companies that are based in where you live or are people like oh i want to go own uh, a company in the US or other companies like what do what do people look at usually yeah that's a great question right because you basically outlined uh, the, the reason yourself right because the US has really long culture that uh, basically developed also in terms of uh, the, the ease of getting information the transparency you know quarterly reports SEC the information is widely available whereas you know in obviously for example, where we are in Europe, there are many different countries, each of their their own rules, legal system, right? So, so you can basically choose, you know, from your own country in a sense, because, you know, any other country would likely be in another language with different set, set of rules. Uh, and then also that, uh, that level of information, right? Sometimes the companies are only uh, posting information yearly, not quarterly. And uh, there is just not the, that level of culture, right? The people are not talking about it as much. It's, uh, in a sense, much more, you know, uh, elitist, maybe I would even say. Or, yes. you know, since it's not uh, the, the topic, right, between the, the common people to talk about it. And if people actually, you know, invest oftentimes, it's also in the US companies because you know even from from my point of view right those companies I can get the information the, the companies are well known uh, big companies uh, so that also definitely plays a role right because uh, you know there are definitely also some geographical risk um, yeah. so that's another reason what would you add Sam I think, first of all, most of the domestic companies, for example, in my country or so, uh, they aren't really accessible to everyday people. Uh, the volumes on those stocks are extremely low. They're like traded maybe weekly or so. Oh, wow. So the volumes are very low. I checked myself. Uh, the companies themselves are not that interesting from, from maybe... Uh, the global perspective, they are mostly localized and don't really have any interesting growth and all that stuff. They are more more like uh, blue chip stocks, I would say. So when you're really looking for the growth on your of, on your uh, capital, then you're probably looking into maybe Western Europe at, at the best and then United States, obviously, and maybe Canada and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I think... Uh, First of all, the U.S. has a tremendous advantage because 
it's the capital city of, of capital markets, I would say, uh, in a sense. If you want a uh, uh, finance for your startup and all that stuff, you come to the US, uh, even from the Europe or Asia and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, I think in Europe, it's not really rooted in the culture of people like talking about companies and how they are doing and all that stuff. People don't really care. There's very few people I can literally talk to, uh, you know, surrounding me about finance and investing in companies, maybe even localized ones, even less. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very tough, especially in Europe, because there's the environment in in a sense of investing is extremely underdeveloped versus uh, the US and maybe uh, places like Hong Kong or so. So I'm super curious about that question. I was like, why is that? Right. So when, when I think about like, why is investing important? I think about like the long term, you know, providing for my family. Oh, I don't want to be a burden on others. I want my lifestyle to be good, but also sustainable. I want to be around other people that are seeking truth about the world and understanding how the world works. And like those things are very motivating to me. And that's just my perception. Um, and I'm wondering like, if other people are also thinking about it from my perspective, my thinking is like, well, how could they not? Like, are they, do they not care about providing? Yeah. <laughs> but that's like a straw man approach. I, I'm wondering, is the feeling towards investing in these other places something more along the lines of like, ooh, it's greedy or it's risky or, you know, what is more yes. the, the general mindset towards investing that isn't necessarily just um, like my, yeah, yeah what's, what's the mindset towards investing in, in kind of these other places? I can tell you that at least in my place here from the climate I can see, um, people mostly have the perception that companies that are doing really well are taking advantage of them. It's not like they are providing value to you, actually. So it's more of like a win-win. No, people really think of uh, them like, oh, you do really well. Well, then you're probably taking advantage of your employees for yourself. So it's sort of demonized, I would say, hmm. in a way. Uh, so, but but yeah, that's I think that's coming from the you know, longer developed culture in the U Europe that is mostly f towards the socialism and, you know, those ideas generally versus capitalism, which is dominant in the US for decades now. So I think that's a part of the reason, really. So it'd be more honorable to do well, but not too well, because you don't want to be taking advantage from other people. Yeah. That could definitely be, be perception, right? That uh, in the Europe, it's much more. Uh, people are just trying to do well as a group. If there is any anyone that kind of stands out, then uh, you know that's something suspicious. And again, it, it it can also vary country by country, right? Because you know, obviously, it's still uh, there are definitely cultural differences. Obviously, in the US, there are also many states which are also very culturally different, right? Uh, so, in a sense, that can be seen a little bit similar, right? The European Union, there are so many countries. It's different in the Scandinavia, different in, in the, the Western parts, different in the South, right? Where people are, you know, much more, let's say, enjoying the, the life and not, not taking uh, that much care about the business compared to countries like Germany, where they are very orderly. So, it's hard to generalize. But uh, I think generally, I... the more you go to the West, it gets sort of better. 
So mm -hmm. when you look at places like the Netherlands or the UK and you know those countries, I think they are more developed. But the more more you go to, towards the east, where the you know culture is still sort of left behind in, in terms of capitalism and all that stuff, it uh, gets more demonized, and there's so many misinformations about how things really work in the capital markets. So people just don't even bother trying and they are like more the most aggressive investment they probably make are some you know some companies or governments bonds and all that stuff not really stocks because they are perceived as very volatile and uh not safe and all that stuff people are really and i can sense that from from everyday conversations in my country and like people i, I see they are missing the safety they used to have decades ago, and they really don't like this dynamic environment here. So I think you can, in a sense, translate that into your question when it comes to you know capitalism and capital markets and all that stuff. Good answer. Because also what I see, obviously, people in the US have uh their portfolio you know also from many different asset classes right obviously we are mainly talking about stocks but you can also talk about the real estate and people in the us have it you know have real estate and the stocks then maybe a little bit something else something a little more exotic uh but in the europe it's mostly first and foremost that, that real estate as you know obviously something tangible uh which also means that you know obviously in the us people have it more complex, right? Obviously, to also juggle the difference between, you know, should we buy more stocks or should we, you know, buy a house or maybe some some duplex, maybe have, you know, that also then, you know, it's uh, that additional layer of complexity and uh, managing all of that is uh, also, you know, both exciting, but at the same time, obviously, mentally demanding. Yeah, it's amazing how much time people put into you know, following these things and making these decisions, which I would argue is a good thing. Like if you're, if you're going to spend time making decisions that matter to your life, you, I personally think you should be spending time, like thinking through what is the uh, cost benefit analysis of buying a piece of real estate versus mm -hmm. a stock. Right. But uh, it's very easy to see and observe just like the vast majority of people would rather spend some time watching TV than to th like spend some hard yeah. time thinking. Um, so the special people that actually get excitement and are interested and usually they're a curious type of person that want to spend time making those decisions i think that's a really healthy thing yeah the mindset usually is like i can really see it in again in my surroundings i can tell people like oh yeah i made like 50 percent on this and i sold for profit it's awesome and they are like, how did you do that? And I'll tell them, like, I can teach you. I have no problem with that. But you have to put the time and your interest into that. And they're like, well, I don't have really a time for that and all that stuff. And I'm like, OK, well, you don't want to put your the effort inside. So, well, you're going to miss out. Like, have fun watching your Netflix, but you won't make anything. Exactly. It's like anything. It's if it, It'll take time and effort to get good results. Yeah. Yeah. And I also love Nathan, as you mentioned, that that, uh, that part, you know, what makes you interested in investing is also that part, you know, about capital allocation, you know, basically putting the, the money into the, the businesses that, that should prosper, right? Because, uh, and I'm also having like this kind of friend quite often, but I'm not really a fan of uh, investing in index funds, right? Because, you know, then you're just kind of, you know, basically, uh, you know, not, not caring and 
basically keeping some of the businesses afloat that that, should, should, that shouldn't exist anymore, right? They are obviously, uh, you know, that's a little bit of the, the dark side of the index fund that, you know, obviously you can, you know, put the money there, you can sleep well at night, you know, don't, don't care. But, uh, you know, people that picking stocks are actually, you know, making those decisions about capital allocation and making the society in, in a sense function better, more efficient, because, you know, that's, uh, you know, for example, one of the reasons why, still have, why we still have Tesla as a company, right? Because, you know, they were able to get uh, some of the, the, the financing and, you know, uh, stock issuance, obviously, to, to function and, you know, survive those, those many years when they were unprofitable. Yeah, and there, there's so much money in passive funds. It's incredible. Like, there's been a trend towards passive management and passive flows towards passive funds that just creates opportunity and it creates more importance for the people that are actively stock picking because a, a mindless passive fund is is like you said it's not opinionated it's it's trying to just uh it, it ends up allocating money to companies that shouldn't get it because they're not moving the world forward they're not innovating um but it gives a sense of security to to people and so it's very popular but for active stock pickers we're, we're literally helping make the world a better place because we're saying this particular company is is getting really great results and I can see that and I'm not going to be passive I'm not going to say oh there's maybe more risk here I'm, I'm gonna and it's not being awarded in many cases yeah yeah but I'm going to place a bet and hopefully the world moves in my direction yeah definitely. plus uh, you know I don't know if, if you guys have it the same but uh, you know if I for example hold the stock for a couple of years and you know then it suddenly starts going I was like I was right. I was so right. You know, I told you all. You know, yeah, the, the feeling is accomplishment. That, you know, my, my analysis was correct. That's the, the priceless part. It's like winning a championship. It's like training as an athlete and then being like, yes, the hard work paid off. It's it's a, such a gratifying feeling. Yeah, definitely. So uh, and uh, you know, obviously, as we a little bit uh, talked about, right. 60% of people in the US invest, but that still means that the, the, the 30% are not. So what uh, what, we, what what could we do in order to you know bring even more people on board? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I, I think about this as like a a question of like what influences behavior um, and like what's the psychology behind like why do people invest? And when I when I talk to people who don't invest. And, you know, some of those people are like family members or friends. So plenty of exposure to conversations like that. There, there's definitely a certain percentage of people that you just never will be able to get into that, get to, to invest. Like they are just, their personality is, I don't want to deal with this. Um, I want someone else to handle it for me. Um, I, or they want to spend me. the money or they just what, or they just want to spend the money. Yep, they want to spend it now rather than than have like more in the future. So so there's a certain understanding that you have to have, which is like you can't change everyone. Like you're gonna just run into plenty of people who like that conversation won't be fruitful. But for for the people that are in the middle that can see the the value of it, I think thinking about it in like two different ways. One is there is short term motivation, which has to do with attention grabbing and uh, just things that are entertaining or headlines that are relevant to maybe what's going on in the world right now, but aren't necessarily going to be like long-term reasons someone stays around. 
And then there are the long-term, deeply motivating um, reasons to invest that. If you can get into a conversation where someone is thinking critically about you know, their own life, that, that will be motivating. And, and those are the things that we mentioned before, like providing for family and, and improving. I think that those are really like those are ways that you can get people to invest is like helping them see that. But you can't get into those conversations unless they're at least initially hooked, which is where those kind of entertaining um, pieces come in. Um, I used to think that you know, clickbait, headline, attention-grabbing headlines, those were bad for investing because they weren't long-term oriented. I'm starting to understand a little bit more how sometimes uh, if you do it right, clickbaity headlines, uh, clickbaity is the, the negative way of, of the negative connotation, but a, a really effective headline or an attention-grabbing um, yeah, headline is really a pitch of why should you care, right? And if it's not if it's not enticing, if it's not, if it doesn't, if the deeper understanding about what this headline means doesn't answer the question of like, why should I care about this? Then the person won't be hooked. They won't really think that this is worth their time at all. So there is a, uh, there is a role to be played in being more on mass media, like being out on TikTok, on podcasts, on YouTube, um, and engaging in kind of those very surface level um, headlining things. Um, so anyway, I basically what I'm saying is, is like, how can we make investing more appealing to everyday people is don't overlook answering the simple questions. Don't don't think about it as like, oh, I don't want to be sensational or clickbaity. Obviously, you don't want to mischaracterize. You don't want to uh, give wrong information. You don't want to make over you know, you never want to say like, oh, you can make this many returns when you don't actually have that ability to, because that's scammy and spammy. But um, there is real value to investing and sometimes talking about it in just how powerful it is, does come across as like um, kind of hustling. So there's this balance to be had. And I think that uh, it's important to understand both the short-term hook and the long-term uh, motivations that will get people to invest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great answer, right? Because there are also obviously different levels of investing, right? And, you know, during those first initial months or maybe the first year, you kind of want to uh, engage people, make them also maybe a little bit entertained, you know, also interested in those companies, you know, how, how they operate. So people actually traverse from that, you know, surface level to, to actually doing a little bit more of their research. So they are also, you know, getting better over time because you know obviously you mentioned for example TikTok right or any of the short-term uh, media pieces that are you know so prevalent and it's relatively recent phenomenon right to all of these short-term format that's just like a year or two I would say which uh, again kind of you know gives you the glimpse of what investing is uh, but of course the, the full picture gets a little more complicated so you also want to uh, follow up with the people so they actually traverse from that you know short and sensational content into some of the the longer discussions so they they uncover uh, some of the depths and necessities right because also obviously for that long-term success in the market which you know doesn't need to be sensational result as long as they are consistent you know you know grow the portfolio a little bit year any year maybe with some flat years in between that obviously also happens but have that long-term consistency. Uh, 
So that's the the second level of the challenge to to also transition to the longer format. I think I would say that a part of why you should probably care and invest, and that's uh, one of the reasons I started to begin with, besides me wanting to obviously build up uh, wealth over time and me being introduced really to the world of finance, thanks to my dad, is that I was very curious about the business world because there's so many misconceptions and narratives that are false around the business world, I believe, that I just wanted to understand what's really going on there and, you know, get the facts straight. Mm -hmm. And that's what I got when I got when I started investing, because yeah, I actually had to hear from the management of the business, see the numbers, understand them in the perspective, see the tra trajectory forward what's happening before it's actually in the mainstream media and all that stuff. And that's what actually got me to understand the business world. And I think that's what many people may find interesting, but they just don't associate investing into, you know, maybe index funds or specific companies with maybe that knowledge in actually understanding the business world, which I think goes hand in hand, really. Totally. I, I love that because there's there's a ton of examples where like if you're paying attention to businesses and learning about them because you're curious, you end up noticing when someone else has a wrong assumption about that business. I was talking to someone the other day about um, just like Amazon and how they operate. And if you aren't looking into like why and, and Airbnb also is a good example of like it's when yeah, we discussed that. Yeah, when there's a company that like people interact with a lot, they kind of come up with like random reasons for why something works. Like this is why the return policy is and it's just whatever pops into their head immediately. And, you know, if they start spreading that like, oh, I think they do it because of this. And you're like, like, I literally listen to the earnings no. call. No, that's not why they do it. And you don't even need to get into an argument. You just it's like almost like an indicator that things aren't priced in. Right. The understanding of this business isn't super widespread and prevalent and there's actually a bit of an opportunity there for you to invest in the company if you understand it better than other people um so that's another another fun thing about mm -hmm. investing is you, you do get to understand the world at a little bit deeper of a level i did that yeah. yeah and the, the, that's a great answer right because uh, you know all of these communities again whether it's twitter common stock or anywhere else kind of gives you the glimpse of, of these information that are kind of, uh, you know, out of anyone's scope, or also I would almost argue that it's an advantage over some of the, let's say, hedge fund guys, right, who are basically, you know, just kind of reading through the annual reports, quarterly reports, but they have obviously, you know, so much time spent with, with the clients, attracting new clients. So they often actually don't have the time to do that, that kind of research and this basically bottom up research where you know i've been witness many times you know where some of the people from the community were able to get some of these super interesting uh, you know new information that's kind of popping out and or as you mentioned a little bit uh kind of the dissect where the reality is and where the, the perception is so that's definitely uh, a place where we can find also that uh, kind of alpha right where we can get little better returns thanks to having all of this information I think yeah. there's a lot of alpha to be made uh, based on exploiting the false narratives. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because it's, it's false narratives grow pretty easily. Um, any sort of like viral reason, if there's a, a good story, it spreads whether or not it's true. Um, yeah. So exploiting that is actually 
good for the world because you're correcting wrong behavior and also good for you because you'll, you'll benefit from that. And it's, I think it's very sticky even beyond the point where it's uh, proven wrong because people tend to uh, remember the, the negative things for longer than the you know, mm. positives and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh, harm mitigation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a great example, right? Because uh, again, for example, Tesla, right? During kind of 2018, 19, there was so much of the negative press which I always argue is the reason why many of the people from the retail community were able to load up relatively sizable positions, you know, during those years where Tesla was basically flat or oscillating between 200 and 300 pre, pre split. Yeah. So uh, that's exactly the, the, the example of this, this behavior where we can, you know, actually uh, uncover uh, or get the more, more clarity where, where the truth is. Yep. I mean, you still have people that tell you that Tesla is only profitable because of the EV credits, which is just not true anymore for like two years now. So old, yeah, yeah old narrative, old belief. Yeah, and it still persists because they just don't have the incentive to fact check again. I guess because it's just so comfortable to talk it down, like, oh yeah, that's just not interesting because you know whatever. Yeah, the dynamic of people that are negative on certain stocks—it's an interesting economics because. They technically don't have skin in the game unless they're physically short the stock. They don't have positions, so it's like marginal to just say like, "Oh, I don't like it because of this old thing that I heard." And exactly, it's comfortable to say that, and they're not—they don't have skin in the game. So if they're wrong, it doesn't really matter. So it's easy to just give an opinion like that. So that's why yeah, many many people just actually don't keep up with those that they have negative opinions on. So for example, I do have companies that. I do believe are maybe a consensus stocks, but I do have a negative opinion on them. But I am willing to change that narrative when I see the changes uh, that I'm actually criticizing, right? So of the things that I'm criticizing. So yeah, you have to stay flexible. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't spread the narrative. Right. Yeah, it's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, definitely. Nar narratives are powerful, but ho hopefully, you know, through communities, we can overcome some of them. So yeah, uh, thank you very much, both of you, for an amazing discussion. Nathan, if you can maybe once more remind people where they can find you, interact with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for the conversation. This has been very, very fun. Um, I'm on Common Stock at Nathan Warden. I'm on Twitter at Nathan Warden. Uh, TikTok now, uh, Common Stock Invest. <laughs> Check us out there. Um, yeah, so just trying to help spread the the good news of investing and collaborate with other people who are also doing the same thing. I think we all benefit when we're all sharing our research with each other and having conversations like this. So thanks so much. Yeah, definitely amazing. And I will leave you guys all of the links uh, in the description. So definitely visit Nathan there. Sounds